Hello, Train Effective family, and welcome to this very special podcast we have here today. My name is Nixon. Uh, I'll be your host today. And I say it's a very special podcast. Why? Firstly, because we do have the founder of Train Effective, Nick, here himself. How are you doing, Nick? You okay? Yeah, we're good. We're good. But I'm more excited about who we got here today. Yes, yes. I'm about to move on to that. So we have got <laughs> here today Sahil, who is here to, to, to share his very special story, a, a, a story which um i think is very inspirational and i and i know that our viewers will love to listen uh to his story so how are you doing so are you okay i'm doing good guys thanks so much for having me i'm excited to share the story and chat with the people today of course it's, it's great to have you on so we'll get stuck in straight away so i wanted to sort of just sort of start right at the beginning and i wanted to ask you know what was sort of some of your earliest football memories or you know what was it that sparked your interest in football from the get-go yeah, so parents, I guess it was like the, the sport growing up, you know, like my dad kind of played it. He was a volleyball player too, but I have an older brother, so he started playing it. So I kind of just got into it. I started at like, so at eight, nine, I played for fun just because all the kids played. So we would play at recess and stuff. And then I had a year of playing uh, like in this team setting uh, in Austria because I was born in Austria before I moved to Canada. Uh, and then I remember I broke my leg skiing. So that was pretty bad. So I couldn't play football for like two, three years. Uh, and then we had to move over to Canada. And then probably my first memories of actually playing were closer to like 12, 13. I played recreational in Canada. So that was like once a week. You play with the kids, you know, the parents would bring watermelon slices, all that good stuff. So had some had some good fun there before trying to work my way up the levels. Right. Okay, so then... Going off that, did you have a team you supported when you were younger? Or, like, did you have any idols or football players that you looked yeah. up to? Yeah, so my team has always been Bayern because I was born in Vienna, Austria. So, obviously, close to Austria, uh, the main team is going to be Bayern. So, I've always looked up to that team. And then back in the days, like, I remember, I have slight memories of the 2006 World Cup. And uh, my player was always Bastian Schweinsteiger. So... A lot of like young kids don't know who that is, but legend of the game. Uh, he was, he, he was yeah. a he was a beast. He was a beast he was at a Germany, baller. at yeah. Bayern, and um, I remember he had this really good game in the 2006 uh, World Cup. I think it was against Portugal, where he scored a hat trick or something. Uh, but he's always been my guy before Ronaldo just started scaling it up at Man United, and then I, I I've always had him as my player. Hey, awesome. so let's just, let's like talk about, you said 12 to 13, you're playing recreational in Canada. Now I know yeah. there are 12 and 13 year olds or people that weren't, were 12 and 13 listening to this and they weren't playing recreational at 12, 13. They're like trying to be the next Messi or Ronaldo. They're training seven times a week or like, so you're saying that recreational, like you're playing like maybe a few times a week at that age. Yeah. So we had one game a week. And then we had one day where the team would train, but it was so it was so unorganized. Like it would be a parent volunteer coming out, and the training sessions were terrible. I did that for like two years at at twelve, um, and uh, yeah, it, no, it's crazy because now obviously if you want to go and play at the highest youth level, starting at like you have kids starting at six, seven, eight, nine, and if you're training four or five times a week in a high-level youth academy, you have such an edge. So I get a lot of messages from kids at like 14, 15, asking if it's too late. And although you really do need to take things serious and you do need to carve a path for yourself, um, 
it, like my journey kind of shows that you can still push up to a very high level, uh, even if you started late. It just depends on the on the move you make. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna dive plenty into that, but I'm so fascinated by it because twelve thirteen, and of course you're getting players messaging you. They message us at Train Effective as well, saying it's yeah. 13, 14, 15, 18, too late. I mean, you're older than than those numbers, and and um, the fact that you're playing recreational and it wasn't your sort of number one thing it seems at that age i think it's it's going to make for a remarkable story which we're, we're going to get into but man i'm fascinated so cool okay. yeah yeah definitely definitely cool i did want to go back a little bit as well so you mentioned that you were you were born in austria and then you moved to canada you said when you were eight years old you say yeah around that yeah we had a right, trip over so... and then we came back and then we went again right okay so you testing it out first went back and it was like yeah we want to live there I like it. Yeah. So talk to me about that move. Obviously, you as a child, what was that like? And what were the difficulties that, that came with that move for you? The most difficult part was leaving your friends at that age. Like if anybody young is listening in, they can definitely relate. You have your friend group at that age. And when you leave it, um, it's very, very difficult. So when we first moved, I remember my biggest challenge was in Austria, you learn German. So I learned German. I can speak German. I didn't know any English, so they teach you the basics. Um, so I had a couple words, but I, I went to Canada. I didn't know English, didn't have any friends, a completely new culture. So the first while in Canada was very, very difficult because it was all about trying to integrate. And I remember my first day of school, we're all going to school and we're all in this lineup. And the kid in front of me turns around. He's like, hey, how are you? And I didn't even know what to say, so I just kind of stayed quiet. So that was my first experience of coming to Canada, you know, didn't speak English. Parents came over, had to try finding their jobs. Um, and I was young, so I didn't really realize the extent of what was going on. Uh, and then also I was on a broken leg. So I'm like, I'm going in crutches around school, trying to learn English. They put me in the ESL program, so English as a second language. So I was also like separated from the kids, had to learn English, uh, had to learn French too, and just tried to make friends. So that first stage was pretty challenging right and, and you kind of touched on it there as well but obviously you moved with your family you say you're with your brother and your parents what was that like for you what can you remember what, what it was like for your parents and sort of how they dealt with the move and did that impact you at all or your brother at all yeah it was it was really difficult because my parents came to Canada there was two main focuses one can we find the same jobs in Canada and uh, build ourselves up there and then also the education for the kids so i have pretty traditional parents that really value the academic route so we were really focused in on that and coming to canada my both my mom and dad they were grinding like crazy for years and years like working overtime working two jobs just to try and uh, get us sorted so relating this to football when i first came like football wasn't on the radar at all it was kind of like just you know learn english get into the school system, try and make friends, and then go from there. It was only, I remember, I think in a park or somewhere where my mom was talking to another parent at like 12. And then she finally found out about this thing called recreational soccer, which was happening like once a week. There's one game, one training. <laughs> so it was pretty low maintenance for someone like her who was working two jobs, grinding like crazy. And that was the only way I finally shifted to doing some type of organized football at that age. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's great to hear that sort of like 
you know how much your parents were grinding to really make sure that you and your brother had a great education that's 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 a great story but so then you say you broke your leg uh around the time you'd moved to Canada was that did you break your leg in Canada or what what how did that go down and like how long did it take to recover and sort of be able to do the normal stuff yeah. again it was on the last uh, ski hill going down in Austria so we had a ski trip I remember it's always the All last right. it's always the last ski t- uh the hill too so I was coming down <laughs> And uh, I actually like kind of collide with my best friend and um, I fall and I was like young. So I didn't know what happened. But all I remember was they had one of those uh, like ski car things uh, come up, pick me up. And then they brought me down, went to the hospital. Uh, they casted me up. And then, yeah, we, we had the trip over to Canada in a cast. I remember uh, that pretty well. And um, yeah, it was kind of like just grinding coming to Canada. I remember the airline, like in, in the flight, they basically told us like, you need to buy two seats for me because you need the yeah. seat in front of you needs to be um, like re- reclined so that I can kind of have, you know, extra space for my, my legs. And my parents just, they, they negotiated at the time <laughs> just to kind of just go with one seat and we made it happen and we just went over with one seat and I just kind of made it work. But yeah, so broke my leg in, in Austria and then came to Canada and uh, it was pretty challenging, like being on crutches and being completely new to the country. No, that's cool. That's cool. So they, they hustled the one seat in the end. They, they got you there in one <laughs> yeah. seat. So not only were you moving countries at eight years old, but you actually did it with a broken leg as well. So, yeah, I completely understand that. So you say you didn't really, yeah. you know, play necessarily organized football up until you were, you know, 12 years old, which, you know, in a lot of countries, especially that's quite late on. Some kids start playing really, really young. So yeah. talk to me about that sort of progress, how how you went on from, you know, not playing so much to then playing a little bit at 12 and then where it got to where you one day realised, right, this is a dream of mine. And I really want to try to uh, really push for this. Yeah, so started with the recreational soccer in Canada and uh, that was pretty much just like playing um, for fun. So I would play and I really enjoyed it. Like I was, I played a lot at recess and stuff, so I was, actually decent compared to the kids in my school um so i would play that and then it was i think grade eight i remember grade eight gym class one of the kids uh came up to me and said listen we we are looking for this one more player on our competitive team for the summer do you want to come and try out and i had no idea what competitive even meant at the time so (laughs) i go and try out and uh, this was the lowest level of competitive soccer it was called l5 in um, in Canada and uh, so I go I try out I remember like super nervous that first day Uh, and actually let me backtrack quickly because before this I went to a competitive tryout at this club it was probably six months before that yeah I remember this moment and my dad took me out there were two sessions I went to the first session and it was a completely different vibe because I was playing recreational at the time this is competitive soccer trials so kids are a bit more, like, they're not as open. They're not as chill. So they're taking things a bit more serious. And the first day, I remember I barely touched the ball. Like, we do, we do the warm-up. We're running. Like, I'm not talking to anybody. We're playing <laughs> the game. I'm barely touching the ball. And it was so, I didn't like the experience at all. After the first session, I was like, like, Dad, like, I'm not going to the second one. So I actually, I didn't go to the second one. And I thought, like, nah, that's it. I'm just going to stick to recreational. And then that grade eight um, gym class, the guy's like, hey, we're looking for a player. I go out to that tryout. 
And that kind of started the competitive journey. I do that one training session and turns out the coach was Iranian at the time too. So it worked out pretty well and invited me out a couple more times and finally joined that uh, team, which was the lowest level at the time. And then from like 14 to around 16, each year I worked my way up one level of competitive soccer to then being at the end of high school where I was kind of, I had the, the dream and the goal of going pro, but I didn't really have any direction of how to do it. And the parents mm-hmm. having, you know, a lot of pressure on academics too. That's kind of when I shifted into university soccer at the time. Right. So you said that it was grade eight, you said? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grade eight, it was gym class. I remember right. I got the invite. <laughs> and so just for our UK listeners, how old in grade eight? Is that 14 years old? I think I'm like, I'm about to turn 14. You're about to turn 14. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you go from sort of like playing it for fun, playing it sometimes at 12, then a bit more serious at 14. And then you say yeah. by the time you finished high school, so what, 16, 17? Yeah, around that age. You you really thought, okay, right. So this could be potentially something that I want to try push for. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. So then you mentioned about sort of, you know, your, your parents sort of, um, you know, the, 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 the pressure coming from them to, to sort of push on education-wise. So what was that like for you in terms of, you know, telling your parents, telling your family that, um, you know, I really love football and I really, this is a dream of mine and I really want to push for it. What was that conversation like and how did they take that? And by the way, Sohil, it's like, I'm your mother or your father right now. Like, Sohil, are you crazy? <laughs> you should be focused on going to the school, university, get yeah. good grades done. What are you thinking about? Yeah, so basically, because I had that whole pressure, I always made sure I'm getting the grades. So high school for me was good. I'm getting like the A's. You know, they're, they're happy with things. And um, anytime I would try and do something a bit more serious in football, they would kind of turn it down, obviously, because it would take the focus away from going to university and pursuing academics. So I and I didn't know anything about um, about like pro football at the time. So I thought, okay, like I'll graduate high school. I remember I had this thought. I'm like, okay, I might hop. I'll hop into like an MLS academy, and then I'll go to the first team. Like that's my plan. But I, <laughs> I didn't know anything about how it worked. So at the time, I just knew academics was so important in the family. So let me go to university and let me try and find a setup where I can also play soccer, where I can play football at the time as well. So I went, I basically applied to like Carleton University, U Ottawa, University of Toronto, Queen's University, like all these top universities uh, in Canada. And I got into all of these universities, but I decided to go with Carleton University because it was, again, like local. So you wouldn't have to pay like for residency and all this stuff, which is pretty expensive. Um, And because I did so well in school, I got a ton of scholarships. So my first year was like covered. And I even, like, I made money going to school, which was pretty cool. Um, So that is, yeah, kind of how it went. Then I went to university, and they were happy with that because they knew I was getting my degree. So, and then, it, you know, the next couple years went on, and there was some more friction. But, But, yeah. (laughs) Hey, can I butt in here, though? Like, let's just put ourselves in uh, the shoes of typical person who's listening at the moment, typical player, right? So probably yeah. teenager, like, so anyone that's listening to this right now, 
maybe they're 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 14, whatever. And I know at this stage, because I've been through the same thing, you're getting older. Maybe you've just, you know, the last year you've been training really hard, but a year ago you were just recreational. Maybe you didn't even play the sport at all. And I think the hardest thing at this age is, is the self-doubt, is the, wow, there are millions of players that are probably better than me. What, why do I have this dream or this ambition? Like, why do I have this goal of trying to do something which only 0.01% can actually achieve? You have to be, um, like, how did you, how did you deal with those voices? So, you know, whether it's from parents or other kids or, you know, did you just lock away this dream and kept it to yourself? Did you tell others? How did you deal with that? Yeah, definitely kept it to myself the first couple of years of going on the journey because I've been documenting this for like two and a half years every single day, pretty much. So I've, I've shared it with everybody. But before that, there's like six, five, six years of going at it just by myself. And, and that's right. Like for everyone listening, yeah. I, I've known Sohil for uh, what, like probably five years now. And I remember yeah. looking at Sohil's Instagram because I was doing the 100-day challenge uh, five, six years ago. And um, I remember I got this message from the, from this guy who said he's from Austria and his name is Sohil and uh, we should chat and <laughs> things like that. So I, I remember looking at your Instagram, dude, and I saw this guy grinding in an Austrian gym. Um, yeah. And I was like, wow, okay, this guy's really grinding. This guy's hustling. And um, I think that puts in perspective, guys. Like Sohil, before this whole TikTok uh, like journey, dude, he was grinding already. And that's just a message to everyone. Like it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen in a few years. It takes years and years. And I'm sure you're going to get into that, but yeah, please keep going. So yeah, that was also a big uh, factor in those years. Like I would do a lot of training on my own to be able to catch up because when you start so late, you're so behind the starting line, you have to do something to try and get ahead. So I remember before school, like in Canada in the winter, I don't know how it is in the UK. You guys tell me, but basically in the winter you have like, eight hours of daylight, like the sun goes up really late, it's, it's snowing, so bad weather. So I would like wake up, I'd have like half an hour of, not even to be honest, it was pretty dark. So I would go train at the field and I'll go do my zigzag dribbling. And that was my main thing, like just doing dribbling because it was just by myself at the field. And then I would go to school and then school would end. And that's when you would ha- kind of have like a half an hour, 45 minute pocket where you still have light before it gets dark. And there's no way of like turning on the floodlights at the time unless like you book the pitch, which I wasn't going to do because it was too expensive. So I would go right after school and maximize that time and do some more dribbling. So I, mm. I, I think it's a pretty similar vibe in the UK, right? In terms of like the opportunity to, to be able to train in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We're the same. Like we don't get a lot of day. Like in the winter by like three, half, three, four o'clock, it's, it's going dark. So yeah, dark, I completely yeah. understand. Yeah. These are some motivational stories for the players listening right now. Like I remember I moved to Budapest, Hungary um, from Australia when I was 15. And uh, it was 16 when I said, all right, I'm going to try to become a pro. I'm going to put in all these hours of work. I got I to put in 20 hours a week of training. I got to hustle, hustle, hustle. So um, I also went to like a very academic focused school. And um, what I did was like, I would come, I would take the bus to school in the morning. I'd arrive around 7, 7.30 school started at 8 30 or 9 or something and make sure i got like an hour or hour and a half of training in um 
because because that's when it was light. There was there was light there. School would happen. I'd play at lunchtime, get my hours in, train like play with the play with the guys. So I'm transferring the individual skills to the team, and then school would end. And then I knew that when school ended at three thirty, I had like an hour uh, max of light. Um, and and I'd have the balls like there was a field at the school, and I'd have my balls hidden in the bush, and like okay. I get the balls come out, do training, make sure that was all done before dark. There was there was times as well, just to give the young guys here out uh, and girls some ideas of what you can do if it's too dark. Um, you can always use a basement. I I would go in the basement. I would literally dribble and train with a ball, dude. I would use street lights, street lamps. I would go out on the street, look for a lamp. And, and do it that way visit squash courts um like squash courts are really good for training your touch and your passing so i'll go to squash courts and gyms and lastly i would get the floodlight right there was like a, a small floodlight um that my parents had and i i put it in the garden and at 4 35 p.m i'd turn the floodlight on and just and just train and you know where there's a will there's a way people always complaining it's too cold there's not enough light outside guys you can do it you got this. So it's, it's all about creating your own luck, isn't it? Yeah. You got to put the work in. So, yeah. so you said that. that yeah. Oh, go on, go on, go on. No, I was just going to say, like, that's what it comes down to is uh, you can either complain or you can find a way to still make things work. Like the whole uh, example about training outside of uh, team training, Nick, that, you know, you put in the grind and stuff. All of even like when COVID hit, like I would always be in my basement just putting in extra work and and just doing whatever I can to try and improve. And um, I think, I honestly think those sessions, just compounding over time, over a couple of months and over a couple of years, that's what then makes the difference when you're on the field with all of these other players. Because many players, like they have the team training, but it's like, what's gonna separate you on the field? Because if you wanna play at the highest level, everybody has a baseline of the passing, the basics of the game, but Typically, you need to have one or two areas where you really stand out if you really want to go and play at a high level. And the way you are going to be able to stand out in those areas is if you put in extra work on your own. So I think for anybody listening, quick audit right now is how often are you training on your own every single week? And what is the quality of that training? And if you can add something to your toolkit where it separates you on the field and it allows you to be an impact player on the field that's something that scouts coaches and agents are going to be looking for well this is true so true and you can you can share your own story about this but um for those of you those of you guys who don't know me and so he'll actually share a very similar story so we both started pretty late um we didn't have this ambition of trying to play at a high level until late as well like 15 16 this kind of kind of age so we had to work out but off to really improve and to and really put in the hours because the thing is everyone and i think a lot of people can relate to this you start off at recreational or amateur then you go maybe semi-pro or you start trying to play in an academy um and you you work your way up the leagues and you know at every single level there's a new challenge and usually it relates to speed of play it's more physical and and things like that and you got to adapt to every single level and i think one thing i i always realized Personally, Sohil, I think you, I want to know what your star qualities are as well. Um, for me, ever since young, it was always my shooting. So I, I knew people will always comment at all levels, wow, you got an amazing right foot. Um, and I knew that every environment that I'll go to, whether it was 
going from recreational, semi-pro to training with the first team um, or tryouts and th things like that. It's all about, all right, what quality can I display? For me, that was my shooting ability. And I wanted to make sure that every day I was working on trying to get into positions where I could strike the ball, trying to get in positions where I could score, trying to get in positions where I could take a shot from 20 yards because I knew um, that is the difference maker and that's what I would work on every day. Um, but what were your your qualities that you really focused on, Sohil? So my main thing was dribbling because that's what I would always do when I did extra training. I was on my own, so I would kind of just go to the field. And I remember I had this, um, this one drill. It was like the zigzag dribbling drill like it's pretty basic but it's all about repetition and how uh, seriously you do it and how often you do it and so I really developed that over the years and um, throughout like going from recreational to like competitive and working my way up I'd have a lot of moments where I'd like be dribbling two three four players and I'd, I'd score a goal or I'd make a play so that was always my thing obviously once you get to like the higher higher levels you have to be more careful with how you use those skills and um yeah, but I would say that's that's my main thing is dribbling and then playmaking when I'm facing the field. I love combining with the winger and, and doing one-twos mm -hmm. and all that. And, and dude, I have another one for you. Because when you get to the high levels, it's like you're also tested on your weaknesses. And you see yeah. that some things that you're weak at, bro, do they really get exposed when you're at the high levels? What, what were those for you? So I, I remember there was this one trial I had in, in Austria, right? <laughs> it was so funny. It wasn't funny at the time, like when I was going through it, but like looking back at it, it was funny. So they isolated certain skills, right? So you couldn't get away with anything. So I remember in the opening part of the session, we were doing technical work before going into possession and then small sided games and all that. And in the technical section, I was very confident we were doing one touch passing, two touch passing. Then we increased the distance. We were doing aerial stuff. And I trained this like crazy all the time. But one thing I didn't train enough at the time was doing long balls with my weak foot. So one, one of the drills they specifically did was they had us like 30, 40 yards apart and they put a box around each player and it was pairs of two. So it's just the technical part of the trial. And um, the right foot, fantastic, right? And <laughs> I see the other players, we're all getting eight, nine out of 10 spot on. Uh, the weak foot, you know, these guys are still six, seven out of 10 are, are spot on. Uh, but for me, it was like every second shot would, like, I'm just going to be honest, it just wasn't on point because I didn't train it at the time. So you have to, as a player, you have to make sure the whole spectrum of skills, you have mm -hmm. it covered because if not, you're going to get into those environments and you're going to get exposed. At your current level, it might work. But if you do want to climb to the next level, they're, they're going to, you know, tap into every single skill set. So you need to make sure you have it. Yeah. One more thing I'll add to this before we move to the next thing. And I think, cause I think it's so useful for every single player listening, whether you're pro or just getting started. I once had a chat. I talked for two hours, like sat down at the table with Renee Mullenstein, who was the assistant to Alex Ferguson at Manchester United. So it was just me and him at a table. And um, what Renee is famous for, you can Google this guy's, uh, Renee Mullenstein and Cristiano, right? So um, obviously when Sir Alex Ferguson was at Man United and Renee Mullenstein was there, Cristiano was also there and he was at the peak of his powers. Um, they're winning the Champions League, etc. cetera. And um, Renee Mullenstein, when I was sitting down with him, he's like, there was a time when Ronaldo had, I think, two or three weeks off due to like a, a red card. 
And so he had all this time just to train individually. And what Rene was saying to me was he basically, um, he had a piece of paper and he sat down with Ronaldo and he said, all right, Ronaldo, I want you to rate, rate your uh, abilities out of 10 on all these different criteria. So he had the paper and every role was a different skill. So it's like dribbling with the ball um, or speed of dribbling with the ball, uh, speed without the ball, um, left foot finishing in the box, left foot finishing outside the box, right foot finishing inside the box, right, finishing, right foot finishing outside the box, heading. Um, you guys get my drift one-on-ones, uh, one-on-one defending. So maybe there are 20, 30, 40 different things that, that he was listing out. And he asked Ronaldo to list to to rate himself out of 10 on all of those. So Ronaldo, Ronaldo rated himself. Um, everything that was under five, Rene said, you have to get it to a five because that's the minimum at a pro level. Otherwise, you're too exposed. You know, even as a striker, you still have to have some defending qualities. Um, and so he says, you have to get everything to a five. Now, Ronaldo, on his strengths, on his star qualities, he said his, his shooting, his speed, his dribbling, these were tens. And 10 is like world-class, undeniable legend status. Um, and so he's rating himself a nine or a 10 on these things. And um, and that's what Rene Moulinstein said to focus on. We're going to focus on bringing these nine and nine and a half to a tens. We're going to focus on these strengths. And we're going to bring everything that's below a five to a five. And um, it's that same season they work together apparently don't quote me on this but apparently after they worked on that this is the season when Ronaldo won the champions league man united won the champions league uh you might you might you guys might remember Ronaldo's header against chelsea uh in the champions league final 2008 uh, so that season i think he scored like 40 plus goals like it was a major breakout season for him. 45 i think 45 right you know better yeah. than me man united fan but <laughs> look um, yeah th- this is the thing guys it's all about the training all about assessing yourself. This stuff doesn't have. This does not happen without um, purposeful, deliberate practice. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm spot on. I think I'm surprised Ronaldo didn't rate himself a ten out of ten for everything, knowing his confidence and his <laughs> mentality. To be honest, um, no. But you're, you're, I think you're, you guys are both spot on. I think if you don't do as much, if you don't, if you do the same amount as everyone else, how can you ever ex- uh, expect to expel, uh, excel? Um, and you have to make sure your whole game is complete and, and like you say, so you're not exposed anywhere. Um, but going back to your story, sort of, you know, so you said that you you still completed your degree and so you you, you done that side partly to for your parents, but also because you say you were you were doing well in academics. But so you're now at Golf United. Um, but talk to me about your journey before then. So when did the trials start? How many did you go to? How many said no before you finally got to where you are now? Yeah, such, there's such a long list. But if I had to recap, so even even before university, I would once I knew I want to take soccer serious and to the next level, I would go to like we had Ottawa Fury at the time in Canada. This was our, our professional club before they folded. And now they're Atletico Ottawa in the CPL. And I would go to these academy tryouts and I would get cut. I wouldn't make it. I went like three times and I was so excited every single time. Every six months, they would announce their next trials and I would sign up right away. But I never made it. Had a couple things like that throughout the years. And then once I became like 18, 19, that's when I started traveling and pursuing football overseas. And I pretty much went to around i want to say 10 10 to 15 different football clubs and out of those football clubs a couple of them uh the majority of them 
It didn't work out. A couple of them, they basically were interested and want to take me on. Uh, some of them I signed contracts with in the past, but it was a lot of just bouncing around from club to club and uh, a lot of different rejections. And then if you go a level deeper to even getting those opportunities, it was this, I can confidently say in the, in the hundreds of messages and emails sent out to even create those opportunities. A lot of players complain, I don't have anything. I don't have an opportunity. I can't get a trial. But what are you actually doing to create an opportunity for yourself? The 99% of us, we don't have the network. We don't have the connections growing up in football. So you have to be proactive with things. So for me, I remember 2000, um, this was like second year of uni. I got cut from the soccer team, actually. And now I didn't have anything. And within eight, like eight, nine months later, I'm playing against Borussia Dortmund B team in a preseason game in Austria, right? So going from having nothing to making that happen, uh, if you go through my inbox, there's like hundreds of emails that I would send out and 99% of them just got ignored. But all I needed was that one yes. And that one yes eventually took me over to Austria after my final exam at the time. And then I bounced around a couple clubs and signed with that club at the time. So in the last couple of years, a lot of a lot of rejections, but you got to be able to get by them to make it to your success. One quick story on that. Uh, yeah. I'll be like 30 seconds with this, but basically like I had the same exact experience. And again, a lesson for all the players listening. It's a numbers game. It is such a numbers game. You need a list of 500 before five actually reply. And then one actually says yes, 500, five, one. That is literally the math guys. Like people yeah. are contacting these clubs left, right, and center. You think yourself and the, and your friends that want to play for these clubs and multiply that by a thousand around the world, all these countries everywhere. So it's just a numbers game, guys. And most people, 99% will say no. It just takes that 1% to say yes. I did exactly the same thing when I found 500 or 600 emails once um, of all these clubs around Europe. And I contacted literally every single one. And, um, and basically, yeah, it's a long story short, it's emails, LinkedIn, uh, all this stuff. But uh, one reply that was a scout at a, a club in Holland called uh, Volendam. And that's how I got opportunity. I was training with players that that same week, they were going to play against Ajax uh, B team. Uh, they were playing against Utrecht B team. These are the best, some of the best players in, in Holland. Um, and that all comes from hustling and making opportunity. Like you said, it is such a numbers game for everyone listening numbers yeah and then also one thing i want to add is uh, the emails the linkedin all of that is great and you should be doing it but also don't sleep on the value of networking in person with different players and going to clubs a lot of the opportunities i got were actually i first get my way in to like a training session through an email but then the way i get my next couple of trials was through connecting with a teammate on that team and using word of mouth and using mutual connections to then get myself another trial or another opportunity. So a lot of players, I know when they go into a new environment, you know, obviously it's, you know, you're a bit nervous, you don't know anybody, but if you can get by that, if you can make one, two friends, if you can talk with some people, you'll be surprised as to what can come out of that. Because every single football player you talk with at, at a certain level has access to five, 20, 50 different contacts. And if you tap into that, then boom, now next week you can go into another team training environment and train with that team. So, so he'll, you know, Brandau? Yeah. 
like okay, so I think a lot of people here listening know, know Brandau. Uh, where is he playing now? Ross County? No, sorry, Scotland or something, right? Ireland? Something so, like that, yeah. All right, so I mean, for those of you guys who know Brandau, if you don't uh, Google or YouTube Brandau, um, before Brandau was a YouTuber, he messaged me on LinkedIn and said, "Hey, I'm training. I'm playing for a conference South team called Burgess Hill uh, in the UK," and he said, "Nick, uh, I've been following your hundred day challenge." Do you want to come and like train with Burgess Hill? I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay, dude. Uh, at the time, Brandau was like, I don't know, probably a few hundred followers on Instagram. And he, I remember yeah. he DM'd me. And um, I was like, all right, this, this is a bit sketchy. I don't know this guy. And then boom, I went down to Burgess Hill, met Brandau at the training, uh, at the train station. It's like a six foot five guy, guy uh, six, foot, six foot five guys. He, Brandau, if you ever meet him, he's massive. Like you don't expect, he's a huge guy. Um, but anyway, he led me to Burgess Hill and I, I was training with a team. Um, but long story short, guys, like two, three years later, now uh, Brandau is going to all these teams and all these clubs and he's trialing and, and stuff. You just never know who you will meet. It's such a small world. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you both sort of touched on there as well, like sort of like the importance of like reaching out and messaging people. And like you just said, you know, you were, you're reaching out and you had hundreds of messages and you went to, you know, lots of trials where it didn't, you know, go as you'd want it to. And, and, and they said no, for whatever reason, throughout that phase of really trying to get there and, you know, struggling a little bit in terms of getting in, were there any sort of like moments that you can remember that were particularly low or particularly difficult um, that you can remember? Yeah, I have a lot. Do you want me to share one of them? <laughs> share, share whatever which one comes off the top yeah. of your head you can share hundreds okay. yeah. yeah so um sure I'll, I'll share the first i'll share one the first one that comes to mind so i i got cut from my university soccer team at the time and keep in mind i went to this university just because of soccer like i got a bunch of university offers great academic schools i go here for soccer my first year i'm a rookie coming in i don't know anything about like college soccer what I need to do. So I wasn't that, like I was a pretty skinny kid at the time. And my first year, by the way, to get on that team, I, you know, usually like if you play college soccer uh, and I think most North American uh, football players listening to this uh, will know this. If you're like a main player in your city, you kind of have those connections being made for you and you're seen. I wasn't one of those players. So I had to email the coach at the time like crazy. And I remember he ignored me a bunch finally got back to me. He's like, okay, open trials in August, come. And like, I knew nobody was going to get selected from the open trials. So I kept staying persistent. And I was like, can I just get one training session? Like, can I, I'm really committed to the school. And he replied to my email with two things. He said, February 2nd, 4 p.m. Like, that's all he said. And basically was the invite to come out and train with the team at the time. And I went to train with the team. And from that session, they kept bringing me back, kept bringing me back. Long story short, uh, August comes around when it's preseason and then we move into college uh, soccer season and they sign me as the last player on the team. So my rookie year, I get signed, I make it, but have a terrible season in the sense that only came on one game. I was a rookie again, like didn't really know what it took. Uh, didn't have the connection to the coaches either. I uh, didn't have any social skills at the time to like just have a conversation with my coach to see what I can improve on and, and whatnot. But season ends and then a bunch of our senior players are leaving. So he sits down with uh, the rookies and he's like, okay, guys, you're next in line. 
And um, I remember he was saying, like, this year, you guys got to step up. You're going to get a lot more playing time. And I was so committed. So now, off-season, I'm training like crazy. I'm in the gym. I'm doing football training every single day. And then, basically, training camp comes. I do well. Uh, he gives me positive feedback. We move to preseason. I score two goals in four games. So decent. But he's bringing me off the bench. So I'm still a little bit like I was hoping to be in the lineup. One day before the season starts, he has player meetings. And he was going to trim the roster from like 26 to 23, right? So, And we all kind of knew who those players were going to be. Uh, but player meeting happens. And he releases me from the team. And I was so shocked at the time. I didn't even know what to say. Like, I remember I walked into the office, uh, head coach, assistant coach, goalkeeper coach, like you had the four staff there and I sat down and I thought it was just going to be like this talk about how, you know, the season's coming up. We're looking to go to nationals. And he says, we decide not to take you on the team this year. And I, I just didn't know what to say. I just shook their hands and I walked out. And basically the next day the season starts, now you have university season. I have my classes booked in. I don't have any football, no team training. I'm going to class and I'm super low. I'm super depressed because obviously I had a, I had a pathway to like, I was going to play university soccer and then work my way up. So now that that wasn't there, what was I going to do? So that whole semester, I, I remember I had class and then right after class, I would go to the field by myself and I would just train. And even if you go back to my Instagram like five years ago, you'll, you'll find some videos where it's just a goal and it's just me. And I had a tripod set up. And for every video I took, there'd be like 20, 30 sessions where I'd just go without a camera. But you can kind of get the vibe for what I was doing. Like it was just me. I'll turn, I'll take a shot on net. And I'll do that for like an hour, two hours. And I did that for months. So basically I had no team. I would just train on my own. And uh, this was the time where behind the scenes, I, I would just shoot out emails, like dozens and dozens of emails, and I would always get ignored. So that was a really low uh, stage for me. Like, mm. uh, it got really, really difficult for a couple months. And that then led to my trip over to Austria. But that was definitely one of the more difficult moments that happened. But so, so Hill, let's, everyone listening, let's just, like, like, let's just take a deep breath, you know and and put ourselves into these shoes we've all been there right coach drops yeah. us to the bench coach doesn't play us we go to a tryout we don't make it we get cut to the team got and these are some of the hardest moments to take and you go there bed at night looking at the ceiling thinking man is this all worth it or you you got your bag before training maybe you're not even going to put your shoes on you're so depressed at the moment what is making you go out there and say, hey, I'm going to keep doing this. Why would you put yourself through so much this pain? Like, what is what is making you go out there? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a good one. That's a good one. And I think every player has their own reasons and and should have their own reasons if they want to go far in this game. For me, it's a combination of things. I'm a person who if I set out to do something, I think first thing I'll, I'll lay out, I think everybody can relate to the love of the game, right? That's why we all play it. We see, uh, you know, the top stars in the world and we're like, I want to play, I want to play at that level. And every time I play football, there's joy and there's fun and there's excitement. And then once the years go on and you start climbing up the higher levels, you start seeing the behind the scenes of things. 
and you start seeing the politics and certain things you can't control and then it takes the joy away. Uh, so the main thing I would say that everybody can probably relate to right now is the love for the game. So that's what kept me going. But for me, that wasn't even close to like the deepest reason why. Uh, the two layers a bit deeper than that one was definitely my parents. So I knew I found something that I enjoyed, which was football. And I knew I wanted to become really successful in life in general. So with respect to football, that's what kept me going is I want to keep pushing because the amount of hard work and sacrifice my parents put in to provide the life and provide the opportunities that they have for me. The only thing I can do, the least that I can do is 110%. I can just keep showing up. I can keep going. So that was a reminder for me in those moments where things got difficult and things got really, really hard. Who needs me? Who am I going to keep showing up for? And I think that's a great question everybody right now can ask themselves. If you're going through a difficult time, if you're going through a challenge and you can't really see what's next, who needs you? on their A game? Who needs you to step up? Who are you doing this for? What's the reason bigger than yourself? So that has always been huge for me. That got me back off the ground. Uh, not right away. There's moments where it's a couple weeks, I'm down. A couple months, I'm down, to be honest. And I think that goes for everybody. So that was, and it still is, my core, core reason and purpose. And that drives my work ethic like crazy. And the other thing on the side, recently documenting the journey, it's knowing that I have so many people tuning in and every single time shit would get difficult and I would get cut and I would get benched and something didn't work out. I knew I had so many people tuning in and so many people looking at my journey for inspiration. So if I stopped and I didn't continue going, they would lose hope. They would lose some motivation. And I knew if I just kept going, I kept showing up, I could be some sense of inspiration and hope for them, but then also educate them on what it actually takes, right? Because if you stop on take five, if you stop on take 10, on take 13, which most people do, you're never going to make it to attempt 28 or attempt 48 or attempt 150, where you finally make that, that team that you've always wanted to make. So that's what keeps me going um, whenever stuff gets challenging, which is a lot of the times, to be honest. A good thing, so, a good thing to, sorry, one more story. Oh, because no. it, dude, yeah. these stories are motivational to everyone's listening. I'm, I'm crying almost, you know? Um, but like, um, Justin Bieber's manager, I know this is off tangent here, but Justin Bieber's manager, Scooter Braun, uh, I, I remember watching this video from him. He said, he looks for the guy, Scooter Braun, he's a talent manager, so it could be a football yeah. scout. Um, he looks for the guy who, in a stadium of 50,000 people, like all screaming and there's a, a there's a line of people that want to um hit a home run and and like you don't have to get off uh off the base thing when you hit the hit the ball uh, after the first time if you miss you can say as long as you want but the crowd is booing and saying you shouldn't do this like you're never going to hit a home run you know um but the prize for the home run is that you win a million dollars or something like that right some huge goal and what he says is he looks for the person that can keep swinging the bat no matter if the crowd is screaming that he's crap and telling him to get off uh, or the people behind him say that want, they want their chance, he's looking for the person that is always going to swing, swing, swing until they finally hit a home run. Because actually, if you never give up, if you keep going and in time, maybe it takes 10 swings, maybe it's a thousand swings, but in time, you will hit that home run. 
And that's why persistence is so damn wise. <coughs> persistence. Well said, so Hill, really. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. Going going back to just what you said before, and this is a it's a, it's a two-parted question. So firstly, do you feel like because your parents maybe were a bit unsure about the football route that you wanted to go down, do you feel like that at all motivated you to 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 succeed at it so that you can prove to your parents, hey, look, I know you were unsure, but look at me now, I'm doing well. And also, similar to that, do you feel like because you started your journey on social media on YouTube, that that also added an extra layer of pressure so that you could, you know, motivate your followers and also show them, hey, look, you know, you, you've seen me when I've been low, you've seen me when I've struggled, but I've now succeeded. So were those two pressures good for you to, to come out on the other side? Yeah, I would say both positive things. Obviously, the first one with the parents, there were conversations and there was friction. And in the moment, things get difficult. But for me, I knew I had something that interested me. I really liked. I had a big passion for this and they didn't quite see it. And you can't blame them, right? Because growing up, they didn't have the same opportunity. And by the way, it is a very risky path to take on. Like straight up for anybody listening, a football if you want to pursue this at a high, high level, it is it is a very, very risky path to take on. So you have to be mindful that if you're going to take this on, there's going to be a lot of outside noise in terms of, you know, do you have a plan B? Um, what, what else do you have going on? So you have to understand that's going to happen. Uh, and I have something I, I want to add on to that after. But the parents definitely, like, I always want to keep going because I know I'm going to get to a place uh, one day where they're finally going to see it. And uh, that moment is going to be super, super fulfilling. And it's not black or white. Like as I'm going through this journey every month, every year, every time I see them, they get to see more of what I've achieved. And it's very fulfilling once you get past the initial phases of friction and um, disappointment and the difficulty, right? But that's definitely a positive. And then the bigger thing, though, would be the second thing you mentioned, uh, which is documenting the journey. Once I put it out there, the reason I put it out is because I was like, okay, I've been going at this for like five, six years. I'm going to put it out because if I'm actually putting it out, there's no way like I'm not going to achieve it. So for me, it was like self-accountability uh, at the time. And then once the pressure built up, it got real because at the start, Nick, I'm sure you can relate to this. Like at the start, it's all positive. You know, you're putting out your journey. Hey, I'm going here. I'm going here. Everybody's like encouraging you. Everybody's happy for you. But as you start to grow, you start getting some more attention, the hate starts coming in and people are starting to judge you and, and hate on what you're doing. And they don't see the full story of, of what's really going on. And uh, that pressure at a actually exactly one year ago today, actually, yeah, around one year ago today was very, very difficult. That's one of the difficult time frames I had was where there was a lot of hate and a lot of judgment. But overall, you know, documenting this journey uh, with people, I think it's been a massive positive, knowing that you know, people are looking up to me, so I'm going to do what I can and and keep showing up and keep trying to climb the levels to inspire other people. Do, do you want to go back to what it was you were going to say before you continued on your social media story? Yeah, yeah, sure. And it would be cool to get your input, uh, your guys' input on this too. So uh, about a year ago, uh, and this is constant with social media, but there's phases of it. Uh, there would be so many people like commenting hate and commenting um, you know, you're not going to make it. You're too late. Like this guy sucks. You have all these comments coming in and 
obviously as a as a human like you don't like hearing that type of stuff once you get exposed to it at the levels that i've been you set up systems in place and you you become mentally tough and at this point it doesn't phase me anymore but i just want to mention that you know as you go through your journey especially as you go older as you climb up the levels people are going to call you crazy they're not going to understand you they're going to tell you you're not good enough they're going to tell you you should quit that's all part of the process and what you need to understand is those people there's usually two two reasons why they're doing that one they've already given up on their own dream and they're they're miserable they're unhappy so they're looking for an outlet to 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 put that energy into okay so if you have that perspective um it really helps because then the negative feedback isn't as you know negative as you might think it is it's just that person you know they gave up on their dream now they're they're sad with themselves they're trying to take it out on you and the second thing is a lot of people who drop you know comments and give feedback uh, to you which is negative and by the way a quick one before i get into this i think constructive criticism is fantastic and i think every player should listen to that but there's a difference between constructive criticism and and straight up like negative hate and a lot of players who might hate on you growing up it's because they've honestly never gotten close or have been at the level of of high elite level football so they're either younger or they just gave up and now they're like talking shit about you cuz they've they don't actually know how hard it is once you start climbing up the levels and nick you went through this like you've been at those high high levels and you know what the skill is like and when i was younger i was i was always a nice kid so i wasn't going to hate on somebody but when i was younger i thought like okay if you're like 17 18 and you're not playing at like this level then you must not be such a good player but it's not until you actually put yourself in those environments where you understand how difficult this whole football world is so yeah. 99% of people who will comment stuff who will say stuff to you they've never been there and if they get there they'll be humbled because they'll be exposed to how difficult it really is to make it and that that negativity and and humbleness will turn into respect massive mm-hmm. massive respect and i've heard that from many many players who at first were saying stuff but after actually trying to make themselves and actually challenging themselves to the highest levels they're like yo when you went to germany and trialed in the fourth division like that's a really good level like that shit is difficult respect mm. right so Yeah. And and that's that's why guys like when have you when have you guys ever seen a like good player hate on on a player like literally go on their comments and say hey you're crap like you're not good enough you're you should drop out guys it does not happen um i i had the privilege of talking to Akin Fenmo once the the FIFA's strongest player the big big dude you guys know him and um we talked to him and he said like he said a quote that always stuck with me he said every professional was once an amateur so every professional athlete every um i don't know successful ultra successful person that you see successful they're all at the beginnings every big gym dude you see at the gym they got muscles they all started skinny like they all didn't have muscles before so like everyone starts somewhere and um and you're exactly right it's like the people that hate are, are the ones that i mean bro they're just not qualified to even hate or have an opinion at this point. So uh, another thing too so he'll cuz I disagree with you a bit, okay? This is what I disagree with you on. That you think it's a really risky journey. 
that you said a few minutes ago, football is a really risky journey when you get to the high levels. And I think it's true. I think it is true because um, when you get to the high levels, there's a lot of things you have to watch out for. Scams, politics, agents contacting you, asking for $1,000 to sign with their agency and then doing nothing. There's a lot of dodgy, dodgy tryout things. There's so many dodgy uh, things that as a young player, you just may not know. I'll say this other thing though, why I don't think it's a risk. If you imagine yourself on the, your deathbed when you're so hill, I'm sure you live to 150 because you're so fit and uh, you know you're, <laughs> you're thinking yeah. about you know oh man when I was in my prime in my 20s my teen 30s whatever it is man I man I just wish I did this and I wish I didn't listen to Paul and I wish I didn't listen to my uh, that my girlfriend Stacy who said like oh no I should stay at home and and focus on this and because i had these dreams man i had these dreams and i didn't i didn't do them and now i'm about to i'm about to leave this earth and what have i done i didn't do what i was set out to do and that's why i don't think it's a, it's the riskiest thing in the world because if you're following your heart if you're young if you really don't have much to lose except really time um then what is the real risk here and I think that's why you should yeah. always go through dreams, always go through your Look, goals. Look, on, on that front, I, I agree with you. Uh, we have different different ways of looking at risk in this context. So in, in, in the context of like, let's say you, you're not taking on the risk and you're not going to go and chase this dream, 110%. We're both, I know we're both big on Gary Vee and it's the whole like, you know, at the end of your life, if you didn't actually take every single attempt and you didn't put everything on the line, that feeling of regret is going to be so, so, so much heavier than any feeling of failure might be, right? So in that sense, 100% agree. On the side of risk that I was talking about is objectively, if you look at football, and I want to add something to this that I think will be valuable for anybody listening. If you objectively look at football as a career path um, and compare it to many other career paths in the world, objectively, it's so much riskier to actually mm -hmm. make it to the pro level or to make it to the highest level of that career path. So in that sense, it's risky. And I just want to mention that because, and this is my personal experience, one thing that I've found super, super helpful for myself is I've been going at this for like 10 years. I remember the first couple of years, I only had football. Like legit, I only focused on football. And, you know, you always think it's great at the start because, you know, you're training like four or five hours a day everything's football, football, football. But there gets a stage where like you start climbing up the levels and you get injured and you're out for three months or six months or you get cut from a team or there's some kind of politics that are really stressing you out. And I've talked with so many, so many players too who have literally just had football in their life. Outside of football, they start getting down. They're always anxious about the next training session, about the next game. And we actually had, who was it? We had Tiago Alcantara come into our training session a couple weeks ago with Adrian. And the advice he gave, which I really resonated with, was he, as a, a current like top, top player in the world, Liverpool, Bayern, played at Barcelona, he has a passion. He has a couple passions outside of football that he takes on. And... Um, so he, he, he told us in the training, he has his team training, right? He has his three, four hours of focus, intense focus every single day. But outside of that, he goes and he takes on a passion. He goes and he learns a skill and he goes, he adds something else to his life so he can get his mind off of football and, and learn something new. And I think that's fantastic in two ways. 
One, it helps you live a more fulfilling life and a happier life as you're going through the journey because you do want to enjoy the journey too. There's going to be dark moments. There's going to be difficult moments and there's going to be great moments, but you want to enjoy the roller coaster as you're going through it. So having passions, having something that you're doing outside of football is really going to help with that. Uh, but then number two, if you're building skills on the side as well, it's always going to be beneficial to your life, whether football didn't exactly work out how you want it to, or whether it does and you just have additional skill sets on the side. And this could be coaching, team coaching, personal training, content creation, making videos, whatever you decide to take on. That would be my recommendation for me in the last couple of years. One of those things has been social media and creating videos. And um, it's been so rewarding to me because it's helped me enjoy the process more. And it's also helped me take on a skill set where, you know, from the skill set, I get massive opportunities. I build my network. I build connections. I have an extra income stream. So that's one piece I just want to leave uh, everybody with as well is if you currently just have football in your life and if it's great for you, if you're super happy with it, amazing, keep going. But if you do feel like at times, you know, it gets difficult or, you know, it gets really challenging. I would recommend take on a new passion, take on a new skill set, learn something new because it's going to be super valuable in your life. Uh, oh, hold on. Sorry. Uh, oh, hey, uh, just one. Pedacek, drums, had a huge passion yeah. for drumming. Uh, Juan Mata studied, I think, two university degrees while I was at Man United. Um, Guys, there's so many passions. I, I talked to one Fulham player recently named uh, Tosin. Um, uh, I, I met with him recently. He said that he has a huge, huge passion for collectibles. And if you go on Instagram and, and look at Tosin Collectibles, I think is the name. Um, he's not just a Fulham player that plays in the Premier League. He also loves his collectibles. And he talks, talks about like Pokemon cards and trading cards and stuff. Guys, this is real, a real thing. It's so important. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah. Like it also as well with the whole like Juan Mata thing and sort of like having hobbies outside. It also means that should anything ever happen, you also have these other things that you could lean on. You have other knowledge, other other you know section uh, pathways you can go down. But so then going sort of back to your journey. So talk me through the trial period that you got in Dubai. How did you get it? How did it go down? And what was that process like for you? So I first came to. Dubai when I got invited to an event in Abu Dhabi at the time. And again, this is something that happened because of another passion and another skill set. The event was um, social media based. So it was for content creators. It was VidCon Abu Dhabi. I, I went out and I meet these massive creators and it was, it was so great. And I loved Abu Dhabi. Everybody told me, check out Dubai. You got to go to Dubai. So I had an extra two days. I went to Dubai before my flight back. And I thought, if I'm going to Dubai, let's try and test out the football there. So I tap into my network and I managed to get a trial with a club. So I trained with that team and I had one training session with them. It went well. The coach basically said, hey, come back. We want to see you for 10 days. We want to see you in a game plus more training. I had my return flight. So I said, listen, I'm going to go back, but I'll take you up on this offer. And at the time I was playing in Spain and I felt Spain didn't exactly map out how I wanted it to. And I just, I saw Dubai, the facilities they had, the coaching staff they had, the players were super welcoming. The level of players they had too, there was a guy who played USL, a guy who played for FC Paris in the past. I really enjoyed it. So that's when I first made the commitment. I want to give Dubai a shot. I want to give it a shot. 
Then what happened, this was during one of the, the COVID variants. I was back for winter break. One of my family members got really sick. And so I, unfortunately, I wasn't able to go to Dubai when I wanted to. So I had to extend this, um, you know, this risk a bit further back. And that's also a phase where a lot of the, the hate and the judgment came in. Uh, but long story short, I eventually then went to Germany because the Dubai opportunity fell through because I couldn't take it on at the time. I went to Germany, had a couple trials there. Um, they gave me a preseason invite for the summer. Uh, this was last year. And it was either like I stay in Germany and I continue to train until the summer or I go to Dubai and I take a risk and I decide to contact every single club I could. Golf got back to me, got connected with them, flew out to Dubai, had a trial with them and the trial went well. And that, that's when they invited me to their preseason for this season, which is how I got into the club. So, so golf wasn't the actual, the actual initial club that offered you to come for trial. It's actually, it was a different club that you contacted again after. Right. Yeah. Amazing. Right. So firstly, a big congratulations because it's actually really nice to hear a story about someone who, you know, set out a dream, had some difficulties, but you persevered and, and you've reached, you know, a goal and you're going to keep on going now. So that's, that's amazing to hear. I wanted to ask about something which, relates but is also off the pitch so doing what you do it's a big commitment right it's a lot of time like you say you're in Germany you're in Spain in Austria now in Dubai it's a lot of travel so how do you balance out the life that you live as a footballer and the life that you want to live as a person sort of your relationships your friendships you know are you in a relationship now if you are if you aren't how does that work how do you find the balance between being a footballer and doing the other things. Yeah, good one. If you want to achieve anything great, you have to be willing to go out of balance at times. And the key word is at times, because if you're out of balance for too, too long, that's when you get super overwhelmed. That's when, uh, you know, burnout happens. So for me, I've had stages where I've been out of balance for way too long. One prime example was when I was in Spain, I was doing six courses at my university, full-time courses. Uh, because I want to speed up my graduation. I was playing um, football in Spain, so I had my team training four times a week, and then we would have our games. I would also be doing media marketing on the side, so we had a business with my friend where we would go out and create content for clients just so I could fund things in Spain, because Madrid is quite an expensive city to live in, and I wasn't playing at a level where I'm making like you know a good amount of money just to live off of that. And then also I had my own social media content, so every single day I was creating one to two videos for myself. And this was all going on at the same time. On top of that, we would go to events. I tapped into the event scene. We'd go to World Football Summit, went to Web Summit, and everything got so, so, so crazy. Uh, and that was definitely a time where I fell out of balance. And what falling out of balance means is like, you know, your mental health starts taking a hit. You're not going to be as fulfilled. Certain areas of your life start, you know, coming down. Um, whereas certain areas of your life are like super, super maximized. And I would really focus on football at the time and my social media. Like th those were my main two things. Um, but basically lately what I've learned from like, you know, going through that is that you need to set up a system in your life where you can make sure overall you're, you're in a balanced, uh, state where you have your football, you have your social life, you have your passions, your skill sets, um, and then at times you're willing to step out of balance to achieve that greatness. So for me currently, 
Um, I am really grateful to have Daniel, who's you know my closest friend, business partner. He's not with me right now. He's back in Canada. He's gonna come back here soon. But he helps me out with the content. He helps me with the media marketing business we have on the side. There's a lot of things I do behind the scenes that I also don't um, share on social media because the social media is more so football related. But I am now transitioning to sharing like more aspects of my life. So he helps me out with that. We got a whiteboard back here. We we schedule our our days. We schedule our tasks. Um, we're starting to build out a team step by step, so we can outsource some tasks and get help with growing the vision and the mission. Uh, the mission. So uh, those are all things that kind of help me out. That stage, like touching on social life and relationships. Uh, that stage in Spain, like I wouldn't do any of that. I, I thought like just grind, 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 and when you're going through it, when you're going through it, you're like, you're like, yo. I'm, I'm on the grind. Like, I just got to keep grinding and stuff. But looking back, I do wish I would have. And Gary says this too. He, you know, you wish you would have taken a bit more time to go on the date, to go with your friends, you know, go out with the friends and, and hang out and stuff. And that's one thing that I'm adding to my routine here in Dubai. Um, I'm having more of a social life. Uh, I have my football, which is great. I have my content creation and then building out a system that helps manage all that has been really important for me out here. So I'm guessing as well, like you fall into a routine as well, don't you? And and is that important? Yeah. So having a routine in your life, that's really important as well, I'm guessing. So. Yeah. And then I don't get it perfect, right? Like I still fall into phases where I'm just work, work, work. I'm just, because my, when you have such a big passion, when you have such a big purpose, when you have something that drives you so much, right? The mission at Train Effective your parents, when you, when you have this thing that really, really drives you, you're just going to work. You're just going to grind. Right. But it's important to kind of take a step back and uh, just make sure you have a well-balanced routine. Yeah. Hey guys, you know, but the balancing is hard. Like uh, it's off season right now for me. So uh, I I don't know if you guys can see, I'm in a ski chalet. Um, But if you look in front of me, look, man, there's people look, look at this. People are skiing. Like, you know, there's a mountain, really beautiful mountain in front of me. I can't. Yeah. What a view. Yeah, what a view. But hey, what a view we have a train effective. What a view that uh tra- that Sohil is sharing right now. And these views are inspiring me, man. Like when I do go up that mountain, I'm gonna be more inspired than I was before. So hey. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So then so throughout your journey, or even maybe even right now. Did you have any big fears? So just things that you were scared of happening. Um, yeah, were those were, were they were there things that played around in your head? Oh, one hundred percent. So the fear of not making it. It's not like you know. You look at all these. Even when I was going through my journey, I'd look at you know other people's journey, and I'd be like, "Yo, this guy's got it figured out. He's like fully confident in himself. He's going all out." But like everybody has some doubt. Everybody has some fear it's not about not having fear it's about having the courage to overcome that fear so for me there's been many moments where i'm like yo am i gonna make it like where is this gonna lead to am i gonna have enough finances to fund this aspect of the dream uh am i missing out on family time at home because you know i'm out here halfway across the world chasing this dream so definitely have a lot of those fears in the last year and a half two years now, last year, it's getting better, uh, you know, as time goes, I've implemented mental training into my routine. 
and not just for football, but in all aspects of my life. I do a lot of self-talk. I do visualization. I do meditation. I do a lot of journaling. And honestly, ever since I've done that consistently, the fears are very, very low. And I'm very confident in whatever I'm doing, it's going to work out and it's going to be massively successful. Like I have no doubt even here sitting here today, I know I'm going to be massively successful in, you know, whether it's football, content creation, business, the team I build, I'm going to meet amazing people. I'm going to have amazing experiences. But where does that come from? A lot of, a lot of it comes from doing the daily practices of getting out your notebook and journaling what the vision is. What do you need to do to make that happen? And so having those routines in my life has definitely helped me overcome the fears. But again, if you have fears, that's okay. Because if you're going to go do anything great, anything big in life, there should be fears. If there's not fears, if there's not challenges, you're not doing anything big. So, you know, pause, look around you and be like, I got to take on something bigger. I got to make a bigger impact. That bigger impact will have fears, will have problems, will have challenges. That's okay. Now it's about how do you overcome that? How do you build your mental skill set, um, your skills in life, and how do you build a team to take on that mission too? Because anything great you want to achieve in life, you need a, a great team around you. It, it's, it's great to, to hear that you touched on your being aware of your sort of mental well-being and, and you're doing things that will help in, in, in that direction because, you know, 20, 30 years ago, even at the very, very top clubs, mental well-being wasn't something which was you know necessarily taken seriously it wasn't taken into account in terms of how do you perform on the pitch how is your mental well-being uh, affecting your performance on the pitch so so hearing that you're doing that is great and so would you say it's a matter of right can i over overcome my fears or is it a or is it a matter of can i accept my fears live with them work alongside them and just realize that's sort of like everyday things but i can still progress in what i'm doing regardless of the fact that it's there yeah, I would say you can, I, I think they both go hand in hand. I think the second thing of accepting them, you know, bringing them to your awareness, uh, which meditation, journaling, having conversations, deep conversations with people, it helps create that awareness piece. Because if you're not aware of your fears and what scares you and what brings you anxiety, uh, then it's always going to be in your subconscious and you're not going to be able to come up with a game plan to tackle it. So I think accepting it, you know, being aware of it, then accepting it, then coming up with a game plan is part of the process. But then I would say the overall, overall goal should be to shift towards that, that first thing of overcoming it, coming up with a game plan. It's not going to be overnight, but coming up with something where, okay, if this thought comes up, then I'm going to do X, Y, Z or ABC. And then that's going to help over time, over a couple of weeks, over a couple of months, it's going to train my subconscious to be more confident and be willing to overcome that fear. Dude, and I think I, that's a process that, you know, everybody should, should go on. And it starts with identifying what those things are in your life. Dude, I, I think that's a message for everyone listening. I think journaling and having a notebook in front of you to like my, I call it a mind dump. Um, it's so underrated in 2023 and for people these days, because always on our phones, always like researching, always getting all this information to us that like you're always consuming, consuming on social media feeds and all this stuff and your brain, like you fry your brain. So for, to, I was showing my book. I don't know if you could, could see uh, before, but I also have a journal here and I'll write on it, write in it probably four or five times a week. And you know, there's a lot going on in your life, Nixon's life, our life. Like there's always so much stuff going on. So 
I think it's really important that for me, when I feel overwhelmed, if I take 15, even just five minutes to sit down at a table like right now and just get the notebook out and literally write down all the things on my mind and say, you know, why are they bothering me? Why, you know, why, what is going on right now where I don't feel centered? I don't feel hundred percent. What is it? And I'll write those things down. And guys, after a few minutes, after five minutes, 10 minutes, things start becoming clear and you'll work out this process. In a, and, and once you, once you get it down, once you get all your thoughts down, it's like, all right, how am I going to fix these things? I'll do X, Y, and Z. And guys, because you're already taking action to solve these things, you feel much better about yourself. Serious. Yeah, I, I think you're spot on in terms of taking notes and writing things down because there's times where I'll go out on a walk and, I, and I'll put AirPods in, I'll listen to music. And on my walk, I find myself thinking, and, and I'm trying to think of content ideas, for example, and I, and I think of this and I think of that and I think of this. And then when I get home, I'm like, damn, what was that really good idea that I had? I've just forgotten all the little details about it. So I think I think you're absolutely spot on about taking notes and, and reevaluating everything at the end of the week. Um, so I also wanted to ask, so now that you are playing football regularly and you're, you know, you, you've made it to that pro level, what would you say what are some of your short term and long term goals um, going forward, whether that be the football side of things, the content and the business? Um, yeah. What are some of your goals? So short term for football tunnel vision on that promotion we're currently top three in the table so nice. we're in a pretty oh. pretty pressured <laughs> environment right now we got to win every single game uh moving forward but i'm confident we're going to make it happen so short-term goal we're going to get that promotion we're going to move up uh, divisions um once you know the season ends that's going to be my time to uh reflect on what happens next season and the reason i say that is because naturally of course the vision is uh, move up with the club. However, in the UAE, you have certain restrictions with local players and foreign players. And so that's something I'll just have to assess um, in the summertime, depending on what position we finish in the table. So that's the football goal. And um, long-term football goal is to work my way up to the highest uh, division in the country, 100%. So that's the long-term. Short-term is get that promotion. Outside of football, content creation, Keep growing the pages. I'm going to hit over a million followers across like everything combined. That's the goal this year, like TikTok, YouTube, um, Instagram. I want to focus on YouTube a lot more. So I've been doing like vlogs and longer format stuff one to two times a week on top of all the shorts. I'm going to do events. So speaking engagements. I love the whole event scene. Like you meet so many cool people and you grow your network. So I'm going to be going out to events a lot more this year and in the future speaking on stage a lot more so i'm really excited for that we'll be growing the media marketing business so right now it's pretty small the the vision is to get it up get more people onto the team and have it be something that i can just oversee in the coming years and have that be something on the side and uh yeah also just a fun one i'll throw out because i've been thinking about it in the last couple of weeks and I've been really enjoying the YouTube boxing scene that has been going on and <laughs> combat. Like I'm a big UFC fan and I love, I love watching combat sports. I got into it about, I want to say two years ago. And it's one of those things that's really helped me develop my mindset actually as an athlete, because mm. these combat athletes, like you study McGregor, you study Usman, you study Charles, like all I could go on um, Volkanovsky, their mindset is elite. So I've been watching like UFC countdown and behind the scenes and implementing that stuff into my own life. But recently I've been thinking like, 
yo, it'd be cool to, to tap into that scene. So maybe sometime in the future, I would love to take on boxing. This year, for sure, I'm going to start going to classes, building that skill set. And then you never know, I might need to make an appearance on one of those. Whoa, uh, whoa, cards. Logan Paul, Jake Paul, watch out, huge. <laughs> um, um, hey, one thing, so like on the growth side, look, yeah. I'm going to say this selfishly. What do you think about what's going on with Train Effective the last few years? Because you've seen the journey. You've seen it the last five, six, seven years. Like, what do you, how do you see it? Yeah, I, I think it's it's awesome what you guys are doing. Like the so there's there's two main things that have stood out to me. One is the content side of things that are being pushed. You guys are educating players around the world, which is fantastic. And educating players on things that you often, you know, don't get to see. So a lot of people are just posting stuff, but there's certain there's a category of content that's unique and that people don't usually post about and you give people that content. So it's very valuable for, you know, football players around the world to study and stuff like that. So on the content side of things, really been enjoying it. And then your in-person events from Bro, a distance. When are you coming they, to our camp? When are you yo, coming so to that's, that's, camp? London? That's what I was about to say. Obviously, like I had that stop in, I had the stop in London last year. I'm planning on coming this year. So I'm going to need to come visit the house, come check out, see what you guys are up to. Because from a distance, it looks cool. But in person, it's going to be a different vibe, right? So I'm excited to like, come person, check it's it out. It's lit. <laughs> you know, every person gets that hoodie that Nixon is wearing on the left right now. And, you know, I'm, I'm planning to actually make a stop in, I think, around, when would it be? Around May. I think I'll have a stop in the UK. Okay. Yeah, yeah. let's figure it out. Yeah, we'll have yeah. to we'll have to arrange that. So just to finish off, then Nick, unless you have anything to ask or to add before I go on to the last question. Um, no, look, man. Well, look, man. Uh, like I think we have to do a second podcast, like tomorrow. Well, I don't know. We we have to look, guys. If you're listening right now and you're like, this has been really valuable to you, uh, make sure you drop in the comments that you'd like to see a second podcast with us again because. I can think of a hundred things we could talk about, which would be gems for the audience listening right now. But anyway, just guys, if you're listening, like, please drop a comment, anything. Um, so we know that like, this is helping you, but that's all I have to say. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it so far. No, a hundred percent. I think we'd love to have you again as well. It's, it's been a brilliant chat and really insightful. So going off that then, so what would your sort of, I mean, and we touched on lot, lots of different nuggets of advice and sort of, you know, guidance, but overall, if you had to talk to someone who is 15, 14 years old, 13 years old, they want to become a footballer, your advice to them, what would it be? So I'll give some general advice and then I'm going to give something that I think is the most powerful thing ever. So the general advice I'd give to anybody is in your local area right now, get on the best possible team that you can get on. Find the top three clubs, the top five clubs. Oh, Just try and get on the best six. possible Sorry, sorry, one sec, sir. I think the audio has gone a bit funny. Oh, yeah, I hear a little bit of muffling. Not sure if that is that from my side. No, I think Sohil had some audio thing, but uh, keep talking, so Oh, is it good now? There you go. Test one, two, back. Yeah, okay. back. Yes, there we go. Okay, so, uh, yeah, the advice get on the best local team in your area. So, find the best top three clubs, top five clubs, get on one of those teams you need to be in a team environment that's really useful and just find the best one you can. It doesn't need to be, it depends on your skill level, right? Do that. Outside of that, do individual training, 
two to three times a week, you can increase it if you don't have team training, right? But do the team, tra uh, the individual training, because like we talked about, that's what's going to separate you. If you want to add to that, you can also do group training with, I have a circle of elite friends that I always train with when I'm back in Ottawa, Canada, and that's really helped my development. So you have your team, you have your team training, do your individual training on the side. Now you want to focus on building a highlight video and the CV. These are two uh, tools that can help market yourself out to coaches, to players, agents, to clubs. At the same time, you want to get in the gym. Okay, you want to start doing some type of strength conditioning work, you know, as you go through your high school years, because the modern game requires you to be physically fit. You got to be strong. You got to be powerful. The earlier you start, the better, because if you come to 16, 17, 18 and you're too skinny, then you are playing catch up. So I would add that to your training routine. Start doing mental training. That's really powerful, too. And the earlier you start that, the more of a mental edge you have on top of players. What hey. I would also say is off the field, build your network every single day, every single week. Connect with players, connect with coaches, connect with agents. Just keep making connections because the more people you know and the better quality people you know, the more opportunities you're going to get. So that's some, I guess, general advice for everybody. And then the one thing I always tell to everybody who asks me, what advice do you have for me if you want to go pro is I wouldn't do you justice if I just gave you like a single thing, like go and improve your dribbling, you know, or go and improve your shooting or contact teams this way. But what I will say is this is a piece of advice that can be executed on repetitively. And it's every single day, learn about what it takes to make it to the pro level. Okay. So every single day, learn about what it takes to make it to the pro level. Watching this podcast is one thing you're doing to learn about what it takes to go to the pro level. Following valuable and informational pages on Instagram, that's one thing you can do to learn about what it takes. Train effective, one thing you can do to learn train about what it takes. Shameless plug. Train <laughs> app, I'm just showing the mentality. I'm showing the mentality section on the train effective app. It's got what you Let's need. Go. Let's, yeah, let's, all right, go. All right, go on. So, look, that's what it comes down to. Like every day, every every week, you have an opportunity to learn something new about what it takes. And for me, part of that process was tuning into YouTubers, right? I would watch some of your stuff, some of uh, Matt Sheldon's stuff, Become Elite, uh, Brandao's Journey, Sheldon Tweet. You know, there's a list, Spencer Moeller, like a list of YouTubers I would watch and I would be like, okay, this is what he's doing. This is working. So every day I would learn about something new that it takes. And if you do that every single day, now you're compounding, compounding, compounding the knowledge. And knowledge is great, but now you have to execute on what you learned. So that's what I'll leave everybody off with. That, that's amazing. And I think that's, that's, a, that's a brilliant note um, to end the podcast there. So Hill, thank you very much for coming on today. I'm sure our viewers um, have loved listening to your story and also your advice. Um, it's been brilliant. So thank you. My pleasure. Thanks uh, for having me, guys. Of course. Guys, if you haven't already, make sure to follow Sahil's journey. His YouTube will be in the description. I know I'll be following. Um, and, and I hope that Golf United do get your promotion. So, so best of luck there. If you haven't already, if you're new around here, make sure to subscribe to the Train Effective uh, channel. Go ahead down to, to the description and click on the links to get into our socials as well. If you're on Spotify, make sure to follow. We have lots more podcasts 
um, on the way. And yeah, until next time. Thanks, guys. And stay effective. And so he'll love it. Great. Awesome. <laughs>